0: Well, good morning. Good to see each and every one of you. Happy Easter. I want to welcome those of you that are in the house and those of you that may be watching in your house today. So good to have you with us. I was wondering, what do you think that most people say that Easter is all about? I uh, imagine some people might say, well, Easter is all about family, right? We get together and we're going to have a meal with one another. And some people might say, well, it's about, you know, maybe fulfilling an obligation and coming to church. And so some of you have come and you've fulfilled an obligation to a maybe a mom or a grandmom or maybe a neighbor. And I want to thank you for coming and being a part of that. Some people might say, well, Easter is about eggs and bunnies and chocolate. And I looked at some statistics which would prove, I think we may believe that's true. $18.1 billion spent in 2018 on Easter. That was $1 billion on decor, $2.6 billion on candy, 180 million eggs were sold, and there were 91 million chocolate bunnies and so, you know, what is Easter all about? And so you can go into the store and it may be a little bit confusing as you're looking at all of this stuff. And I just want to be honest with you. When I was a kid, I actually had a little problem understanding uh, about bunnies and where they come, came from. I thought bunnies came from eggs. Like I knew chickens did. But I also thought that bunnies did as well. In fact, when I went to go purchase this egg, there was like an egg that looked like a bunny with eggs on the inside of it. So you could understand uh, how confused I might be. But that uh, I learned later. I Googled it last year. And that's not how bunnies get here. (laughs) So I'm... I'm up to speed, but it can be very confusing for especially kids. My wife was teaching a junior church or children's church class one Easter. I was preaching and she was going over with the students what they'd learned the week before, talking about Jesus's triumphal entry and then Jesus hanging on the cross. And then she asked the children, all right, who rose from the grave on Easter? And a little girl's eyes got real big and she said, the Easter bunny rose from the grave. So you can see. Uh, It is very confusing at times. What is Easter all about? Well, fortunately, we have a source that we can go to and find out. We we have within scriptures the very first account, the very first description of what Easter is following Jesus' resurrection. Do you know where we would go in the Bible to find the first description of the first Easter? The book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. So if you would open up your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Shelby. What what we're going to see here is we're going to see Peter preaching at Pentecost. He is an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we find here is what Easter is all about. Let's pick it up. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter preaches, men of Israel, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So as Peter's preaching this message there in Jerusalem, he's preaching to a bunch of people who already know and realize who Jesus is. Many of them saw Jesus, saw what he was doing. Many of them knew people who had been touched and transformed by Christ. He goes on, this Jesus, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless. So Peter cannot be accused of kind of soft peddling this message. He goes right at it. Then he says in verse 24, though, God raised him up. Speaking of the resurrection, Jesus being alive that first Easter, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So, in these three verses, we have a summary of the Easter account. Peter says in verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. What is Easter all about? Easter is about who Jesus is. Easter is about who Jesus is. Without Jesus, there would be no Easter. And Peter starts out and he says, Jesus of Nazareth. What's interesting here is. This is one of the least used references of Jesus in the Bible. But by doing this, by saying Jesus of Nazareth, Peter is immediately beginning to distinguish between all the other Jesuses at that time. This was a very popular name. The name Yeshua was a very popular name, just like now. Just like now, uh, the name Jesus is a very popular name. Jesus is a very popular name at that point. And so Peter is saying, what I'm talking to you about is not some fairy tale. We have a historical figure with a hometown and an address. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. So Jesus is a man. Now we also know, that Jesus is no ordinary man. Jesus is an extraordinary man. He is a man like no other. That word attested by God, that means that God publicly put him on display. That there were things that Jesus was doing through the power of God that no one else had ever done before. And Peter says, you know this because you have seen it. You saw it displayed. Peter says, you saw it displayed with works and wonders and signs. He's saying Jesus demonstrated among us the power of the living God. And as Jesus was walking this earth, he had the power to transform lives. He had the power to heal individuals. Jesus was going all over the place and he was healing individuals and he was telling them about the kingdom of God and people that he touched would never be the same. Again, not just physically, but spiritually transformed by him. And so Peter is saying, This is no ordinary man. This is an extraordinary man. We walked with him. We saw the wonders. We saw the works. You've seen the signs. We saw God doing through this man, Jesus, powerful things that transformed people. Jesus is more than a man, he's an extraordinary man. In fact, in the New Testament, we have over 30 miracles of Jesus between thirty-six, thirty-seven miracles recorded of Jesus. And the miracles we're talking about, it's not like you know going to the county fair and guessing somebody's age or weight. We're talking about miracles. Blind people being able to see again. We're talking about people who had leprosy, a skin disease, and them being cleansed and it being removed from them completely. People who had never walked before, now walking once again. We have storms stopped. We have bread and fish being multiplied. We have demons being cast out of people. In fact, we see Jesus raise people from the dead. Over 30 times, we are watching these miraculous things happen, not just from a man, from an extraordinary man, over 30 of them. And if those miracles weren't enough, John, in the end of his gospel, writes this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There is not enough ink and paper to contain the power and the glory of who Jesus is. We used to sing a hymn some time ago. The love of God is greater far. And verse 3 went like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man, a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That is our God. That is what is displayed through the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Easter is about a man, but more than a man, an extraordinary man who was unlike any other who has ever lived. And one of the ways that we know that is through the demonstration and the power of God in people's lives. And we had many, many, many eyewitnesses to that fact. And it was recorded. In fact, Peter had said, you yourselves have seen it. You know you, you could right now shoot down all that I'm saying to you, but nobody could. Jesus is a man. And he's not just an ordinary man. He's an extraordinary man. And it would be one thing if we've gathered here today to celebrate the life of a really good guy who did really cool things 2,000 years ago. But what we know through Scripture is that Jesus wasn't just fully man or an extraordinary man. He is the God-man. He is fully God. He is 100% man. He is 100% God. No one on the face of the planet could ever claim something like that except for Jesus Christ. In fact, we find in scripture in Colossians 2.9, Paul says this, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So what we have is the entire fullness of who God is contained in Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on. This is the God of the universe who created everything. Everything that we can see and hear and taste and smell and touch. That God became a man, and he walked among us, 100% God, 100% man. Easter is all about who Jesus is, but that's not all. Peter goes on, and he says, Easter is about all that you did. Did you know that Easter is about you? Now, we realize that when we're looking at the, the final days of Jesus, there's a lot of individuals in this account that we could look at, and we say, well, it could be about them. We have Pilate. Jesus stood before Pilate being judged by Pilate and then Pilate hands him off to the soldiers in order to be crucified. You have the Pharisees and the Jews as individuals just shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Of course, you have the disciples and then you have the women who are the very first ones to see Jesus alive. But that's not all. You're involved. Look again at verse 23. This is what he writes in Acts 2, 23. This Jesus delivered up it would be on the cross, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter says this loving man, this miraculous kind of working man, this God man, you murdered him. You murdered him on a cross. You did that. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Peter's not talking to me. The, the you is not me. I'm me you is is them no no them is you you is them it is you and me and them we did this and we did this because of our sin because of a curse hanging over our head as human beings who reject God. And we know that this is the case. And this isn't some accident that's happening in the New Testament. This is predetermined, planned by God for a specific moment. And it is because of our sin. In fact, if you would like sometime... If you have questions about, you know, Christianity and Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, I would encourage you to read Isaiah 53. Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus, and he, to a T, describes in Isaiah 53 what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross, and it explains why he went to the cross. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. Speaking of the Messiah, the one to come, but he was pierced for. Our transgressions. Our is not just Isaiah, not just the Jewish people, but all of mankind. Our, your transgressions. He was crushed for our, that's your iniquities, your premeditated sin, your iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, you, peace. It was your sin and it was my sin that drove Jesus from heaven to earth and made his way to the cross. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And every single one of us in this room know what that is all about. Every one of us have sinned. We've been sinning since the beginning. And as soon as mankind decided, I don't want to do what God says, I want to do what I say, I would like to become God. What we have now is an indebtedness to a holy God. We have a debt to pay that we cannot pay. We are estranged by God. And now we have judgment hanging over our heads when we come to this planet. And it is a curse and it pushes down on us. And every single one of us in this room, we know what it is to sin. We, we, we sin. some of you, you've sinned since this morning. Like we know what sin is. We'd all have to say, I have missed the mark of God's glorious, holy perfection. We end up breaking God's laws. For some of us in the room, we'd say, okay, yeah, 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 I know that. I know. I've, I've done some bad things, but I'm trying to be good. Like, I can get with you, pastor, on the page of, like, I'm not perfect. But God should let me into heaven because I'm trying to be good. Friend, God has never asked you to be good. He's called you to be perfect. And we blew that a long time ago. And none of us in this room are perfect. We have walked away from a holy, righteous, perfect God. And God is not in heaven going, well, you know, boys will be boys. Just let them do whatever they want to do and look at our sin and say, well, I get really not that bad. So we'll just let people who don't even love me into this heaven. No, heaven is perfect because God is holy and he is perfect. And he is not interested in entertaining sin. He is interested in removing sin because the problem with sin, we found it in the garden. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, the problem's death. And it's not as if, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. No, it is a now thing. It says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death it is death that is the payment for spitting in the face of a holy god and deciding we can do whatever we want to do forget him forget his righteousness and his laws and commands the wages of sin is death that is what i have earned deservedly is death Because we have sinned against God, we earn this death. So if we get what we deserve, if we get what we deserve, that means that at the end of this physical life, we will physically die because sin brought physical death. But not only that, that sin separates us from God, and we will die a spiritual death for all of eternity and be separated by God. That's what our sin is earning us. Why? Because that is what is stored up for us. We are under the curse of sin, all of us. And there's not one thing you can do to correct that. You can't be good enough. You've already sinned. You're not a holy, perfect sacrifice. You wouldn't be able to work enough to balance the scale because it is one sin, one curse to be paid. You can't work that off. We've sinned against this holy God, and because of that, we deserve the punishment of God. That is what he gives to rebels who say, look, I'm just going to do my own thing. But this says that God took his son and delivered him up for us. Why? So that he could die in our place. I I deserve sin. I've earned it. I have been a rebel against God, wanting to do my own thing, wanting to go my own way. I deserve death. But God delivered up his son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. He died for me because there was no way that I could atone for my own sin. There was no way that I would be able to make right the sin that I have done. I'm under the curse. I would need one who is not under the curse to come in and to be the perfect holy sacrifice. And that is what Jesus Christ is, the holy lamb of God, spotless, taking on himself on the cross, the curse, and not just taking on the curse, becoming the curse that I should be paying and I can choose to move in the direction of this God who has paid that price for me and accept his death, or I can go ahead and keep living my life and pay the penalty for all eternity because it will never be paid off if it's dependent on me. The good news of Romans five eight says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He satisfied All of that wrath in that moment on that cross for us. Jesus Christ took my sin and your sin when he was delivered up. Easter is all about what you did, what I did. Easter is all about who Jesus is, but it doesn't stop there. Easter is all about what God did. Easter is all about who Jesus is. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. Easter is all about what you did. You have sinned, and your sin moved Jesus to the cross out of a heart of love in order for you to begin to move in his direction and receive his payment on your behalf. But then there's this part that God does. You see verse 24. God raised him up. So Jesus died on that cross. They put him in a grave on a Friday, and then on Sunday, God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus was a man, an extraordinary man. He is the God man who died. He died for our sins. And if all he ever did was just simply die for our sins, then we have no hope. If all we have is the cross, we are still without hope. Now we have hope because God raised Jesus from the dead. And I would say that that makes Jesus different than any other pretender that might want to come along and say, hey, I know how to get to heaven. Hey, I got some kind of theory on how God's going to balance all this out. Hey, I, I know how to get to heaven. In fact, why don't you listen to me and follow me? All the kind of pretenders that would come along and say, hey, I'm a Messiah. You ever heard of a guy named Muhammad? Muhammad started a religion called Islam. And Muhammad said that Jesus is a prophet. But Muhammad called himself the chief prophet. On June 8th, 632 AD, a Monday, Muhammad died. But then on Wednesday, June 10th, 632 AD, he was still dead. Gandhi? You've heard of Gandhi before. Gandhi claimed to have true spirituality. On January 30th, 1948, he was tragically shot and murdered. They took some of his ashes and spread it in India. In fact, they've taken some of his ashes and they've scattered it off the coast of South Africa. He did not rise from the dead. And today, we could go to the Green Dome in Medina... And see that Muhammad is still dead. We could go to India and see the places where Gandhi's ashes are spread. But today, if we were to go to the place where they put Jesus' body in a grave, we will find there is no body there. He's alive. Why are we here today? He's alive. He is alive, which makes him different than anybody else who has ever lived before. He stands as the one who is the true God filled with love, who would see us under the wrath and the curse coming our direction as a tsunami and move in our way, die on the cross for your sin and then rise from the grave proving he is God and he's alive right now. He is the only one to die and then rise from the grave, never to die again. And God tells us in the Bible that when Jesus rose from the dead, he put an end to death. For everybody who is in Jesus, we no longer have death and curse and wrath. We have life the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the defining testimony that God accepted his payment on the cross as the sacrificial lamb, as the one who would be spotless. He poured out all of his wrath on Christ. That sin, which is a stench in the nostrils of God, poured out on his son, taken up, absorbed completely. And when we move in his direction, When we say, I'm just going to go ahead and confess what everybody knows already. I am a sinner, and I feel the wrath of God. I sense this curse. I'm going to go ahead and agree with you, God. I needed a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus. I receive his payment for my sin. I don't wanna pay for my sin the rest of my life for all of eternity. Thank you for a one and done kind of savior who died for me and rose from the grave. I'll take his life, breathe life into this dead spirit so that my spirit might live now and forever. Maybe you say, okay, that sounds really good. How is it that I can enter into life how is it that I'm going to walk out of the bondage of the curse of original sin? How is it that I might be able to find freedom in Christ and know that when I leave this earth physically that I'm going to be with God? We find in Scripture, Romans ten nine. if you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can be born again and born into this kingdom that is here now. Jesus said, I have come to bring the kingdom. He would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he is coming and he brought a part of that kingdom. And it is now and it is not yet. There's a moment of overlap where the kingdom of God is here and you have an opportunity to bend your knee now on this side of heaven with a God who is patient waiting for people to respond to his son, Jesus Christ. And one day Jesus is returning and he's gonna set up his kingdom and he is going to reign as it has always intended to be. And those of us who heard the call of God and moved in his direction, repented of our sin, received Jesus as our personal savior, we will be with him forever. And you can join us. You can be there because of Christ. Because of a loving father who extends to you the opportunity where you decided at 915, I'll go down to that church. And a God in heaven loves you so much that the good news of Jesus Christ would be explained so that you could respond. Let's pray. Father. perhaps someone in the room today you've been stirring in their heart and you have reminded them of the distance between them and yourself that they have never made this decision to say yes to Jesus Christ to receive all that you have done. We recognize that this Easter it is all about your son Jesus Christ and what you have done. You have sent your son. You are God Jesus. You have made everything. You were born of a virgin. You lived a perfect life. Nobody's done that but you. Easter is all about what I did. My sin hung over my head, and yet you, Lord Jesus, hung on a cross for that sin. Thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. I thank you that you have risen from the grave. Father, thank you for raising your son, Jesus Christ, into life so that I might have new life. Today, Father, I'm connecting what I know in my head to what's happening in my heart. I repent. I come to you. I ask that you be my Lord, be my Savior. From this day forward, every day is Easter for me. Every day, I'm gonna live with you as the Lord of my life. Thank you. I give you my old life And I receive today new life in your son, Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.